welcome to episode eight, My Way, of our Unhappy Not Ill podcast. I hope you're all enjoying the uh, journey that we're taking you on so far and are looking forward to a bit of a different type of episode now because we're stepping into an area where we're getting into an insight of what happened and what triggered Vanessa finding her way and making steps to get out of this kerfuffle that was um, quite a long time of her life. How would you define the podcast name, My Way? It is not my way as in do it my way, because my way will be just specifically for me. Um, So really what I see this uh, episode as is kind of coming through the worst uh, stages of my life. So it was probably in my mid-30s that I started to wake up from the coma of depression, I think. And um, what, what, what made you wake up? Like that's a really I think it was it, it was a combination of age um because experience probably yeah age and experience because yeah. like you know sort of after sort of my early 20s I started so about 15 years of the same patterns repeating you do start to pay attention um and actually I'd had a relationship breakdown um where I had actually lived with this particular partner but it was like I say in my mid 30s and it was a fairly traumatic um relationship it was a fairly toxic relationship when I reflect on it um and it was a traumatic breakdown and I went back into hospital again um and you know I wasn't in for very long but I was there and when I came out it was like I just can't keep doing this it was literally it needs to stop it needs to stop something needs to change you know definition of insanity repeatedly doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome um and I definitely think I was feeling like I was insane um and I remember it was quite significant because my parents um were going overseas went to Barbados and um I'd been on these horrendous drugs and I remember this relationship broke down And I'd been in hospital and I was on so many tablets. Uh, This was probably when I was on about, you know, 16, 17. And I remember saying to my mum, how am I ever going to meet anybody and be, have a functional relationship when I'm my mid thirties and I'm taking 18 tablets a night, you know, and by the way, I was still doing my high powered jobs, but that's what I needed to kind of keep me, you know, normal and functioning and in my routine um and so we went away and I decided I was just going to come off all these drugs which is broadly what I did and I remember I mentioned in one of my in one of the episodes quetiapine which was the drug that I just went cold turkey on so that was the start of me realizing I had to do something different um so I came off that horrendous medication and it is horrendous And I have this habit in my life that I never read anything until I've done it and then I'll read about it. So it's a good job that I read about it after because had I read before, I probably wouldn't have got off the medication because, you know, you fill your head with what then happens. But it is really difficult to come off. So I came off that medication and I came back and, you know, I just decided I needed to take control of my life. So one of the decisions I took was I, from the age of, I hadn't had any functional relationships from the age of essentially 21 to 35. So I'd had a series of relationships that 
you know, had basically made things at times worse. Definitely, I don't think made anything better. Was it because of the depression? Maybe. Did it cause the depression? Possibly. I'll never really know. It doesn't really matter. But all I knew was I was masking my ability to find out what was really going on by having other people in my life. Things to focus on. Yeah. So you just distraction. So I just thought, right, I can't do this anymore. And I was, um, I was in a situation, I had, you know, a great job, earning good money, came off the medication, uh, went to a different GP, said, I want to deal with this differently. I I don't mind having some therapy, um, which I'd, I'd had had therapy in my life, but frankly, I found it completely useless. Um, But maybe that was because I wasn't ready for it. Or maybe it's because the therapists were useless, probably a combination of both. (laughs) Um, And then I had therapy through the NHS, which was psychotherapy. uh, It was with a psychologist and it was CBT essentially, but it was a 21 week program. I had 21 sessions and the woman that did that she was, she made a significant impact on me. She was a brilliant psychologist. Um, and she, and at that point I was working in, in, in an organization. I wasn't in law anymore, but I was working in an organization, which was quite brutal. So that was, you know, quite toughening up, um, taught me a lot of things, but I think I just kind of started to work some things out. But I think the biggest thing was I stopped distracting myself with other people's shit. And I started to look at what I needed. Um, And I came off the medication because the medication was just numbness. So how can you ever know how you feel when A, society teaches you not to feel and B, the medication then makes sure you don't feel. So I don't know how I ever could have worked anything out, let alone have effective therapy when I wasn't feeling. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So now, and can I just hold fire there for a second? You are not recommending for the world to go cold turkey on medicine. In fact, yeah. you, you're not saying that this is a solution. What are you saying? Well, it was my solution. Yeah. It might not be other people's solution, but, you know, I'm not saying do it, but equally, I'm not saying don't do it. You know, everybody has to be responsible for their own actions. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not professing to be, but in my situation, at that point in life, my thought processes were enough. We've been doing the same thing repeatedly for the last 15 years. And I remember my first admission into psychiatric hospital. Um, I remember somebody there saying, this won't be your last time. You'll be in here in and out all your life. Um, And, you know, yeah. And that really does stick with me. I mean, bearing in mind all the things I've been through since then, that's really, really stuck with me because I just thought, well, I don't want to spend my life coming into these places. Um, You know, I I guess they have a value and a purpose for some people. But for me, I didn't have... That wasn't your vision. That wasn't... (laughs) No, that's not what good looked like. No, all jokes aside, I'm sure it does have a value for some people, but it's not what I needed. Um, Yeah. And I think for me it was almost like a mission then to prove the opposite of that that thought. So I, first of all, stopped taking medication. I, second of all, stopped taking everybody else's shit. And then thirdly, I started to do things that I'd rejected doing. So I guess I started to listen to things, nuggets of information that had been given to me, 
that I'd rejected because they seemed like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, so things like relax, meditation. When someone tells you that and you're in your early 20s and you're striving to be a partner in a law firm, it just feels like nonsense. It's like, yeah. well, that's ridiculous, you know. So people used to say things like, well, you know, you've got a very stressful job. Maybe you should quit your career and do a yeah, more well, relaxing like, job. Yeah, I mean, I remember one psychiatrist said, you know, you know, you should take up a hobby like basket weaving. And I just thought, have you met me? <laughs> um, and, and actually what she said isn't wrong. How she yeah. said it was wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I read something very interesting the other day. You should do the opposite in terms of exercise and how you live your life. So at that time, I was living my life in the fast lane with the pressures of, you know, a very responsible career and the ambitions of a very capable person. And I would go down to the gym. I'd do five or six hours in the gym each week, you know, Listing spinning, heavy weights, power lifting, Olympic lifting. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. You know, and somebody said, do a meditation or go to yoga. I'd laugh them out the, the, the room. I'd be like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, so I started to think, well, what is it I can do differently? Yeah. Um, I started to have more fun. Um, and I, my relationships I had, it, you know, I, I stopped feeling like I needed to have a relationship there. So I fitted in with everybody else because most of my friends were married by this stage. Um, you know, and I stopped worrying about all of that stuff. And I just started to listen more to what I wanted and I became much more uh, aligned with what I needed and I had Alfie um yeah. so I didn't need this uh love that I'd obviously been searching for because I had everything I needed with Alfie and and you know my friends and my family so I guess I stopped searching and I started nice. yeah. listening and just being a lot more and by the way, I was far off anywhere I am now, but I started to recognise that I had to slow down a little bit. And it's interesting, right, because you've mentioned the word stop a lot there. And up until now, there was nothing in you or any professional advice that said to stop. <laughs> so, well, I had been told to basket weave. Yeah, but fair you can enough. see why that wouldn't have really lured me in. Yeah, I guess it, it comes back to this point around experience, and I guess number of times that this has had gone on, and you realizing that unless you stop, it's not going to change. I kind of want to share with our listeners how they can avoid having to go through so many years of experience to get to the same place that you got in. You know, what what can they take away, really? I think this is quite an important part of the podcast. Yeah, I, I was just thinking about it. And I think the problem is it's all about the life that we designed ourselves to live. And I think that in some respects, it's harder for people now because you've got the likes of Instagram and Facebook and everybody coming on there and you know, showing up in such a body confident, career successful way. So I think everybody just thinks everybody earns loads of money and does really well. So in that respect, I think it's harder now. But in other respects, I think it's easier because I think society is more accepting of different ways of showing up in terms of your sexuality, in terms of what a family is, in terms of the careers that make you money. So, you know, when I was growing up, being in the um, dramatic, you know, am amateur dramatics was not something you really did unless you had no other options or you were really quirky. 
Whereas now it's a really, really, I mean, everybody wants to be on TV. Everybody wants to be an actor or a singer. Whereas... Really? Like like they do, don't they? They all go on Love Island or X Factor. Or, yeah, I see what you, you mean. Know, everybody wants to be famous, whereas nobody wanted to be famous. Um, but, yeah. So, so what, what, what I was saying is, is that I think that how do you avoid it? It's easier to think differently now and it's accepted. Whereas for me, it was you're clever, so you need to be a lawyer, a doctor, accountant, a banker. Um, you're not so clever, so you should do these other things. Whereas now I don't think there are quite so many demarcations. Yeah, but lower generation here, I reckon, well, in fact, I know mental illness and mental health is at its worst it's ever been. Well, you don't know that because they didn't measure it back in the day. Yeah, but... you just We just have more data. We talk about it more, fair enough. But yeah. you can't say that people are, shouldn't be affected by it. No, I didn't say that. I said in some ways it's harder Yeah, because of... The, the the existence of things like social media yeah um but in other ways it's easier because you don't have to you don't have to have one type of life so you can have you know you can be a hybrid worker you can be somebody that decides you're going to be what do they call them digital nomads so it's easier to find what works for you and make life fit around that whereas what was difficult for me is i didn't know I didn't know and I didn't have the opportunity to find out what worked for me till later. And one of the reasons I didn't know and I didn't have the opportunity was because, you know, you went to school, you went to, you know, you did your A-levels, you didn't go off travelling for five years, you went straight to university, you leave university, you get a job, you then buy a house. So all of these things were there, which meant that I didn't have any opportunity to deviate from that route. Or to stop. Yeah. Whereas now I know... Most people will take one, two, maybe three years off university before they go to university. Some people don't go to university. Nobody feels they need to buy a house now, and actually a lot of people can't. So that's another pressure that you don't have to have, um, and people are less judged by it. And it's completely normal and common to travel. Like, you know, people travel so much more. So when you travel, you learn a lot more about other cultures and other experiences, um, and that can give you different aspects. So I'm not saying it's easier. I'm saying it's easier to do things differently. And so actually what you're saying is the key to this and to finding your way is to do things differently. You almost need yeah. to write down a list of what am I currently doing? What does my normal week look like? Yeah. I go to work. I go to the gym. Challenge the I, design. I yeah. Challenge the life design. And I think if you do that you're more likely to find your way. If you just follow everybody else's way, then I think you're going to end up with similar pitfalls. But also, like, Nettie, there's, there's got to be a point here around this wasn't, like, overnight for you. No, gosh, it's life's work. It's a life work. I yeah, mean, it, I, I'm it still... Took, we're talking about nearly seven years here of transition period. Yeah. And... and ten. And I'd say ten years. Ten years, yeah. And therefore, it's about baby steps. Yeah. Like, one little change in your life design can create what has created with you today. Yeah. And it's it's taken 10 years for me to get to a place where I'm now medication free um, and healthily medication free and 10 years to get to a place where I can tell you I can't even remember the last time I felt any form of depression. That doesn't mean to say I don't have bad days. It doesn't mean to say I don't get pissed off, but I have not been clinically depressed 
whoop, whoop. four years. Now, let's just take a couple of steps back. This listening piece is quite an interesting one for me because... You don't think I listen? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you definitely weren't as good at it when I met you than to where you are now. So before you met me and you say you were listening, how did that manifest itself? What, me listening? Yeah. Like, well, I started to do things that I'd, I'd ruled out doing. So, you know, having therapy, um, being participative in that therapy. So exercise has always been an important part of my life. Yeah. Um, I've only really this last two years changed my exercise routine. Um, but I, I've, exercise has always been critical for me. But I think now what I understand is it's more about movement, not exercise. So, um, y you know, in terms of listening, it's not necessarily listening and reacting, but I have listened and then I've adapted over time and in my way. Um, and obviously having you really help because there is an age gap between us and you are culturally different to me because you weren't born and brought up in this country. So I think looking and watching and seeing how you show up has helped me have the confidence to show up differently. So actually, you could argue that you were, you started also, you also started surrounding yourself with people that were different to you. Yeah, I think I was, I, I started to have the confidence to, so I don't, think I readily have ever, well, I know, I don't think, I have never readily asked for help. I've learned to ask for help. And that, by the way, guys, is not from doctors. Um, not suggesting you don't ask for help, but that wasn't the journey for me. So it's, I've learned to ask for help. And I've also learned that, you know, how other people show up is not necessarily a negative. So great, great phrase. I love it. You attract what you judge until you stop judging what you attract. And I think that kind of really played out for me. Let's just think that through one more time for the listeners. Say that again. You attract what you judge until you stop judging what you attract. And I think that would be probably what I did. So I was quite judgmental. I had very strong views and opinions about what I should be doing and how things should be working. And then when it wasn't working out for me, I stopped judging stuff. Nelly, you were talking before about how one of the things that allowed you to see your way was that you stopped giving and worrying about other people's shit, I quote. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you just almost became a little bit more selfish, not in its real sense, but in a healthy sense, probably. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I was always brought up to believe that you you couldn't be selfish. So, you know, I was a family. There were six of us in the family, four kids, two adults. So from a young age, being selfish isn't an option. So I was about nine when the world stopped being about me. Um, because when you're the youngest, the world is about you. Um, and so I didn't know how to be selfish, I didn't know. And I think that when, when we look at relationships, at the relationships of the general theme, my whole relationships, whether it was through school or whether it was through my family or whether it's through my friends and then subsequently my partners, um, I was very selfless. So I would give so much to everybody. And, you know, I still give a lot now to the people I really love. And you know the journey that we've been on, that I've had to be much more um, selfless. 
But I didn't understand, sorry, selfish. Yeah. I didn't understand that selfish was a positive thing. To me, selfish was always a negative thing. And even in the jobs I've done, you know, when you do law and you're an advisor, you are actually putting everybody else's problems ahead of your own needs. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's what I do in HR. You know, you are making sure everybody is okay or if there are problems, they're sorted out. So I was designed and wired to be completely selfless. And I think that probably drove me into depression because for me... I remember when we met and you used to have this thing, Esty time, and I was just like, what the fuck's Esty time? You know, who actually put... And it was actually, actually in your diary, yeah, in your file of facts. I mean, for those people out there, yes, do you remember file of faxes? Well, my wife had several. And, you know, it, it's like Esty time on a Wednesday night. But, like, for me, that was... Well, I remember reading it and thinking, wow, gosh, you're very self-absorbed. And then wind forward seven years, I'm like, wow, that's totally, I, I do Vanessa time pretty much 24 hours a day if I can. <laughs> um, and so I think that, you know, in the relationship piece, in my mid thirties, I became more selfish. Yeah. I, I stopped like trying to please everybody. I was a people pleaser yeah. because again, that's what you do. Um, and that's what you're designed to do. And I started to think about what pleased me. Now I didn't get it right. And it wasn't easy. Um, and if I was to give people tips, and I do now, I mean, obviously the, the people I work with now, I say you've got to give yourself at least 30 minutes a day to think about you. So I say to people, 30 minutes a day, whether it's in the car, whether it's at home, however it needs to be, and do what with that time whatever you will. But going back, to my late 30s, I guess that's what I started to do differently. I had Vanessa time because even when I did my exercise, it was with a personal trainer or and, you know, in classes. So it's not really Vanessa yeah, time. Yeah, it's not on your own. Um, yeah. And when I was in my relationships, I mean, they sucked the life out of me because I just saw me failing in relationships as something that I couldn't have on my CV. And yet I had, a, you know, a number of failed relationships but for me failing wasn't an option remember go right back to the start of these podcasts failing wasn't an option am I right to see to think that there might have been this dynamic in which you obviously knew you were depressed and therefore that would have been difficult for the partner or the relationship you were in and so to balance that out and to counteract that you would try and give more than the normal yeah. to kind of make the relationship work. Yeah, I but think that, that must have been very exhausting. Yeah, it was. And I think there was a piece about sometimes I think my depression rears up when I needed to be selfish. So because I wasn't selfish, I found that being depressed is ultimately the most selfish thing that can happen to a person because when you're depressed, you cannot give to anyone else. Yeah. You cannot show up the way people expect. Um, so I almost think my depression was, again, my body's way of saying you need to be, you need to give less, you need to show up less, you need to be, you know, everybody's, not everybody's bitch less. Um, so I think you're right. Um, there was a piece that now I look back and I can say that, but at the time when I was depressed, I'd be so grateful that the other person was still there at the end that I think I'd have to go on overdrive to make them think I was wonderful. Um, and 
you know, and I felt ashamed of the depression. But now when I look at it and some of the people in my life who have spoken to me about it, I can see what the depression did. The depression took me away from the life that I was leading that was unhealthy for me. So I blame the depression, but actually in some ways the depression saved me because it made me do things differently. And in terms of relationships... In I mean, a way, like that was the sign, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when I was... I mean, when when before we met, I had decided I was not going to have a relationship. I Ever was, again? No, I just thought, I don't need this. I'll just keep buying cats and that will be enough for me. <laughs> and I literally do remember that. And I'd had this relationship before you and it was another shitty relationship, another selfish person... Um, I didn't get depressed in the same way, but I felt all the signs were there again. And I just thought, well, I'm not doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stop and, button was you know, on. And I yeah. literally had divorced myself from the idea of a relationship. And I was okay with that. Like, I was actually okay with You'd that. You accepted it. The yeah. first 20 years of my adult years, I wasn't okay with it because, you know, this design life included having a fabulous relationship like my parents had uh, and nothing else would, would do. Um, but, you know... I didn't come at our relationship from the same place that I did all my other relationships. I did not need a relationship. I did not want a relationship when I met you. I was absolutely 100% comfortable with going through the rest of my life with the networks I had, the interests I had, and no relationship. My previous relationship, again, I was building the picture that had been designed for me and I was getting frustrated because the the pieces didn't fit. Yeah. And I think where my depression saved me was it kept taking me back to core, which is the minute I got depressed, people pissed off, upset about it at the time. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. What my life would have turned out like if, if that hadn't have happened, I could have been trapped in loveless, crap relationships like seemingly a lot of people in the world are. And that's not being harsh. That's the way I see it. That's that's the things I hear. I'm, I felt I was missing out. So I got to 40 and I thought my brothers and sisters, you know, they, you know, my big brother had been married and yes, divorced. So in my 20s and early 30s, I felt I was missing out. I felt I was the oddball. By the time I got to my 40s, most of my friends had then got divorced. So I thought, well, I've just saved myself a, a car crash. Oh my crash. gosh, that's so interesting. So actually, it? it was interesting how the narrative in my head changed. So I went from being the oddball to suddenly the person that had actually managed to avoid yeah. um, what the general masses create in, in relationships. Because, you know, look, this is no offence, but relationships are very disparate in quality but the other thing about relationships is over 50 percent of them fail so I'd saved myself a failing through depression so I kind of took that negative and turned it into a positive and nice. thought I wasn't ready to have the relationship I needed so what I saw again is me failing and me being somehow damaged I realized was my own way of protecting myself from something that, you know, would have just created another problem. Yeah. Gosh, I mean, you can really hear in the way you're talking about this and the language you're using, how much you changed, like, and how much your way changed you. Um, how would you summarise this episode for our listeners? I think that you have to be, have the courage to 
stay on your path and find your own way. And so long as you don't look over to another path and try and copy that path, even if you fall over a few blocks, it's okay because you might not be where you want to be, but you'll always be where you need to be. And I think I've really learned over the years that all of these stumbling blocks that I came into in my life, which I was very angry, frustrated, resentful of when I was younger, I realize now they were there for a reason. And the only thing I did wrong, really, was resort to medication. And that's me, guys, not everybody. Because actually, I was just living my life and I wasn't always getting it right. But what I was getting completely wrong was making myself feel that being unhappy or not quite being where I needed to be when I expected to be was a problem. I think, you know, the other thing I want to remind our listeners on too is if you find yourself doing the same thing and falling into the same situations, meeting the same type of people, stop it and change it. And even if you change it and it doesn't go right, change at it least again. you've changed it. Well, you can always change things. And change it again, yeah. You know, the only certainty other than death is change. And I've also learned that, you know, it doesn't really matter how many false starts you have in life. It, it, it's actually quite important that you have a few false starts. If you don't ever have a false start, then I suppose you have to question, have you really lived? Wow, we're now at the end of episode eight of our 12 episodes for this podcast, Unhappy Not Ill. Um, if by now you aren't following us on Instagram or following this podcast or indeed shared it with someone you think could benefit with it, then please do. Um, we'd love to see you on the old Instagram page. And look, our next episode nine is all about me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to change the name of it, Nelly. It's a bit cheesy. Uh, we've called it True Love. But anyway, it's it's just really how, why I'm here today <laughs> and how it's kind of all come together um, nearing the the closer time to where we are on in this day and age. So yeah, stay tuned guys and see you in episode nine. Get to learn about our relationship, which is just fun, fun, fun. In the sun. <laughs> Bye. Bye.